pause to celebrate and somehow to remember Jesus Christ, even for wrong reasons. For most, of course, it's because it gives them a holiday from work. For others, they know it's time to receive presents. And for others, they know it's the only opportunity they have for family gathering. But whichever reason it is, somehow, under normal circumstances, we all love Christmas. And here is the thing. It is easy to get caught up with the Christmas mood and Christmas experience around us. If you think of yesterday, what was the menu of the day yesterday? First thing, we'll get all the presents. Second thing, we'll go to church. Third thing, we'll have this family lunch. And then it'll just be time to relax. So it is so easy for all of us to just get caught up with a Christmas experience and not have a personal or intimate heart celebration of what Christmas is. And the question is, what do we celebrate? The easy answer is we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We all know that. So Christmas reminds us that God the Son took flesh and became like one of us, human being, but with the purpose of rescuing us from the bondage of sin. So having celebrated Christmas yesterday, I think it's just appropriate for us just to pause again and ask this question. Why did Jesus come on earth? When we think of Christmas, this great event that changed the course of humanity, it has become so familiar to all of us that some people even take it as a fairy tale story or a type of fiction because of how it happened or even a lullaby. In fact, one philosopher said this, when everything around us becomes so familiar, we lose the capacity of astonishment. Think about this, something that is not normal because it becomes so familiar to us. We don't even question it. It just becomes part of life. I remember growing up in the DRC during the time of war, so because we used to hear the sounds of guns each and every time, that became familiar to all of us. We will hear it, it's just, ah, it's just soldiers, maybe they are trying their new guns or everything. But under normal circumstances, the sound of gun is not normal. And I think this is what has happened to us, especially when it comes to Christmas story. Although the story really looks like a fiction because of the way it happened, I want you, I want us, just for a few seconds, to wear Mary's shoes in this story. As the angel appears to her, you are Mary, and here the angel appearing to you. He's probably shining in all his glory, someone you've not seen before. Maybe he is handsome, just like I am here. I'm joking, church. And here he comes to you dropping this bombshell news that you will conceive. Well, as a lady preparing for marriage, you know that conception will come at the right time. 
But here it's not the case because Mary is a virgin and about to get married. The angel is telling her that you will conceive. You will have a son. Well, it becomes more specific now. Sex is already known before even Mary goes to the doctors to check. And that son that you will have, you will call him Jesus. Even more specific, because the name is already given, and it's a name that has got a meaning. Redden explained to us yesterday the meaning of the name Jesus. So if you missed the service, you can still go to the website. But it does not end there. He will be called Son of the Most High. He will reign on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom will have no end. He will be called Holy, the Son of God. Wow, wait for a minute. Now this becomes serious. Mary will give birth to the Son of God. Remember, Mary is just a teenager, probably 12 years old, turning 13. In the Jewish culture, a woman could be given to marriage at age 12, and the marriage could be consummated at age 13, and she is a virgin. How do you digest all this news if you were Mary, a teenage girl? Well, Mary asks, how will this be? The conception will be done in a very miraculous way by the power of the Holy Spirit, even more difficult for Mary to understand. And now let's quickly turn to Joseph. Imagine you are Joseph now, you are dating Mary, and here Mary comes to you. Hey, love, I'm pregnant. You haven't had any intimate relationship with her. And guess what? I'm intimate by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you are Joseph, what will be your first reaction? Well, you just say, Mary, I think something is not right with you. We need to go and see a psychiatrist. You see, Luke, as well as Matthew, are very unapologetic about the the miraculous way in which the birth of Jesus uh, came to be. The conception was done without human intervention. And of course, this explains why Jesus is 100% God and 100% human being, and he was sinless. And that's why he qualified to die for our sins because he never sinned. So this is what is happening here. I'm not sure about you, but if I were Mary, I don't know how I would have handled all these news that were dropped to me just like that. And later on, we'll see Mary's response to all of this. As I said earlier on, This is not a fiction, but it's a reality that happened 20,000 years ago in a small city called Bethlehem. Remember, when Luke is writing his gospel to us, 
He wants us to have the certainty of things the way they happened as he investigated from the eyewitnesses. So these things happened the way he's telling them to us. And remember, he was also a doctor. And as a doctor, he knew how babies were made. So he would not have written this if this did not happen the way he's describing it. Although God, in his humility, chose the most humble way to come to us, the events that surround his coming are still out of the normal. We still see the extraordinary hand of God in the birth of his son, Jesus. And of course, this should not surprise us, because this story is not a story about Mary or Joseph. By the way, there was nothing special about Mary, the person of Mary, apart from her finding grace, finding favor before the Lord, before God, to be the mother of our Lord Jesus. And nowhere in the Bible it is said that we can pray to Mary so that she can plead to us before God or before Jesus. There's no such a thing in the Bible. The only Savior, the only mediator we have is Jesus. So this story is not about Mary, it's not about Joseph. This story is all about God. In fact, from verse 26 to 38 of Luke chapter 1, the passage that was read for us, Luke makes reference to God or Lord or Most High or Jesus ten times in just a short passage. So God is the one who is making things happen here. He is the one who is fulfilling the prophecy from the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah, this long-awaited anointed king who is finally coming. God is the one who has got history under his control, directing event after event to fulfill his promises, the promises that he made long before to Abraham, to David. And of course, God is the one who's taking flesh and coming to us in the most lowliest way that one can think. So when you think of God becoming man, you think of the one who created everything, the supreme God who's taking flesh, becoming like you and becoming like me. That's the lowliest it can get. You might be sitting here and have doubts about God. But this passage is telling us that God is real. Everything that is happening here in this story was planned by God before they came to happen. There's no chance here. There's no luck here. That's why we call God Almighty God, because he is all-powerful. He controls everything. He's got everything under his hands. Your life might be falling apart as I'm standing here, or as you're sitting here, or as you're listening to this sermon. 
you might feel like life, everything around you has been so disappointing because nothing is making sense. Nothing is going according to your plan. You are feeling that you are not in control of your life. You have lost your job. You have lost loved people. May I just encourage you to do this in your heart. Turn to God in prayer. Open up your heart to him and say this to him. Lord, although I don't understand anything about what's happening in my life right now, I know that you are God and you are real and I want to trust in you. Just say that in your heart. Speak to God. And of course, verse 37, nothing is impossible to this God. He will help you to trust in him, but speak to him. Our question, why did Jesus come? Why did God take flesh? Why Christmas? Jesus came to rescue us from sin. And when we use the language of our DNA here as a church, and if you are new here at Christ Church Midland, welcome to you. But our DNA as a church here is that in Christ we are, church help me, in Christ we are, a redeemed family of servant. Well done. I just wanted to make sure that you are not sleeping. So if we use the language of our DNA, in Christ we are a redeemed family of servant on mission, and try to answer this question, why did Jesus come? The simple answer to it is, Jesus came to redeem us. He came to redeem us. And where do we find this in our passage? First of all, we see that in the name that was given, the name Jesus. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, which means God saves, Yahweh saves. Why was he given that name? Well, because he came to save us, obvious. This world needs salvation. And what does he save us from? The Bible is very clear that we are all sinners. There is nothing good in us, nothing good in you and me. Everything that we try to do is tainted with sin. We are all sinners. And what sin does, it separates us from our creator God. It creates a chasm between us and God. A chasm that we cannot overcome. That means the good news about Christmas is that what we read exactly in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, which says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is, the, who is Christ the Lord. That's the good news about Christmas. You and I are all sinners in need of a Savior who can deal with our sins, 
because you and me cannot deal with our sins. He did not come to empower us to become our own savior. No, he came to save us. And how does he save us? To answer that question, we just look at the cross. We cannot think of Christmas without thinking of Easter. It's like there are two sides of the same coin. They are all related to our redemption. They are the cross. The Savior Jesus takes the punishment that you and me deserve. Remember when he was at the cross crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that exact time, all the sins of the world, your sins, my sins, or the thoughts that we have that are not God-glorifying were upon Jesus. That's why at the end he said, it is finished, I've paid it all. So he came to take our punishment, the punishment that we deserve. This Savior whose birth we remembered yesterday was born to die. That's how he saves us. And he died not for his own sins. He was sinless as God. But he died because of our sins, because of your sins, because of my sins. And as we continue to celebrate Christmas, as we continue to unwrap all those beautiful gifts that we received, I want us to remember this one thing. The greatest gift that you can ever receive for Christmas is that this baby who was born came to save me from my sins. So each and every time when you think of Christmas, and even if you didn't get any gift, know that the Father in heaven who loves you has sent you one greatest gift that you cannot compare to any, and that gift is Jesus coming to save me from my sins. We saw the first reason why Jesus came was found in his name, and here the second reason is that it's found in his character and his nature. Verse 32 and 33 of Luke chapter 1. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. He is great. Jesus' greatness is first seen in his humanity as this long-awaited Messiah, this long-awaited anointed king. Remember when Jesus is born, Israel is under the oppression of Rome. And people have been waiting for so long for one like David who will restore Israel. And according to the messianic prophecies from the Old Testament, the anointed king would be a descendant of David. But least the people of Israel know is that this sinless Messiah came to deal with humanity's biggest problem, 
humanity's biggest enemy, and that's sin. His life here on earth spoke volume of his greatness. His love for the lost and those who hated him. His compassion for the sinners that you and me are. And the forgiveness that he offers to all those who come to him. All those who turn to him, even today. That's how great he was, this Messiah. And in his divine nature, which is his, the second way Jesus' greatness is seen, Luke tells us that he is the son of the Most High. He is the son of God who will reign on the throne of his father David. In fact, when we read chapter 1, verse 35, it says, And the angel answered Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This Jesus is God. This baby born is God. No wonder why only Jesus can redeem us from our slavery to sin. As a human, he lived a sinless life. He's called holy. And of course, he is God. One reason again for you and me to put our trust in the only one who can deal with our sins. No one else can. You cannot. I cannot. Only him can. Having said this, having seen the reason why Jesus came, which is to redeem us, how should we respond to him? How should we respond to this Jesus? How should we respond to this baby who was born for us? Let's quickly look at Mary's response in this passage. After the angel Gabriel explained to Mary what God will be doing through her, Although as a human, uh, on a human point of view, it looked beyond our understanding, Mary did not show any reluctance. Her response comes in four stages. We are there, Luke chapter 1, verse 20, uh, uh, 29. First, she was greatly troubled at the greeting of the angel, like anyone would. Then second, she tried to discern what sort of greeting this was. She was using her mind. Chapter 1 and verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And then third, she tried to investigate just like any innocent person would have been under the circumstances. And here there's no suggestion of unbelief, unlike what we see earlier in the person of Zechariah, who had some unbelief and he was struck with the inability to speak. And finally, in verse 38, her answer is that of submission. She shows total confidence in God. She says, Behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's answer is a kind of, Lord, I am all yours. Use me as you want. Although this was a great privilege for her to be the virgin mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you and I know that as human beings, it was not an easy call for Mary. Being pregnant before marriage in a traditional Jewish culture, which will definitely bring disregard and shame because she will be seen as immoral. Things that would have happened to her, she would be rejected by Joseph, she would be rejected by her own father, and for her to own or to earn her own living, she would have ended up being a beggar or being a prostitute. So although this was a great privilege, but it was not an easy call for her. Same for us today. We are more concerned with our well-being and with what people around us think or say about us, more especially when it comes to our faith in Christ. We are more concerned about that more than our stand before God or our submission to him. Of course, my friend, God acts in a natural way as well as in the supernatural way. Certain things about God, we cannot grab them with our finite, limited brain. And if you are skeptical about the faith in Jesus because of the supernatural, why don't you from today read again this whole gospel of, Mark, of, of Luke? And as you read it, ask God to open your heart, ask God to open your mind so that you'll see him for who he is. As I said earlier on, Luke who wrote to us this gospel. Basically in our world today, he would have been a great researcher, a doctor as well he was. So when he tells us of supernatural He's telling us things exactly how they happened. So if you are skeptical, read again this Gospel of Luke. Ask God to help you to open your hearts, to open your mind to him so that you may encounter him for who he is. This Jesus who came is the king of God's kingdom. And we are told that his kingdom will have no end in verse 33. He will reign forever. And if he will reign forever, will you choose today to be part of his kingdom, the kingdom that he brings, and enjoy him forever? Or will you continue to reject him? And as consequence to face God's judgment. Think about it. This God's king who brings about God's kingdom to us will reign forever. Will you keep rejecting him or will you embrace him and enjoy eternity with him? Listen to this quote by John Piper about the story of Christmas as I bring my talk to an end. 
God is the great actor and the great goal of this story. He is at the beginning planning all things. He is in the middle governing all things. He is at the end being magnified in all things. Jesus Christ, the God-man, is his divine son. Salvation is in his glorious work. And childlike faith is your way in. Go join the shepherd, glorifying and praising God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the happiest story in the world. The greatest question that I want you to continue thinking during this Christmas time is why Christmas? And the answer I want you to have in your head is that the reason of Christmas is that God loves me as a sinner and my response to that love is to embrace Jesus. Because he offers me the forgiveness for my sins. Let me pray for us. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you because in him we have salvation. In him we will enjoy being part of your kingdom forever, a kingdom that will never end. And Lord, if there is anyone here who hasn't, been, who hasn't put his trust in you, I pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit will do the miraculous work in the person's heart, in the person's mind, and reveal yourself to us so that, Lord, we can put our trust in you. Thank you because what is impossible with us, it's possible with you. Help us to trust in you fully, Lord. And as we depart from here, Lord, we pray that you continue to help us to love you more. We pray that you continue to help us to live for you, to stand for you, and to witness for you wherever we find ourselves now until the day when we'll be with you. Amen.